This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 109 of Small Talk. Your hosts, Steve Cerruti and Michelle Smallman are here. And Cerruti, I'm coming to you from the road. We are on vacation. I am on a road trip across America. And right now, coming to you live from Joshua Tree in California. Whoa. All right. So Shelly's on the road. You're what? Airbnb <laughs> action here. It looks pretty good in the background. Nice little Airbnb spot for you. This is an Airbnb. We're going to a hotel in Orange County later today. We're doing Southern California for the remainder of the trip. But yeah, a little Airbnb action in Joshua Tree. So it's like West Coast Michelle is just taking over, doing her thing. I want to know like every stop of the trip here. Okay, so we left St. Louis and went to Colorado. Nice. We stopped in... Um, Top tier state. Top tier state. I was happy to secure it in the state draft. Mm -hmm. But we did these things that are the sand dunes there. They're called the Great Sand Dunes, and they're so sixty. If you're just driving around in Colorado, you're looking at these gorgeous mountains, and out of nowhere, it's these sand dunes that look like you're in Egypt or in the Arabian Desert, and they're just at the base of the mountains. They're very cool. I do love nature, so that's pretty cool. Also love Colorado. Yes. All right, what's next? Next stop. So then we went to Utah, and we did Zion National awesome. Park. Very beautiful. Crazy, crazy beautiful. We drove through Utah, which is a stunning state. I do have a story for you, though, out of Utah that I think you might like, but we can get to that in a second. And then uh, we went to Sedona, Arizona. Spectacular. And now we're in Joshua Tree before we head up Southern California. Utah might have been this deal with the draft. I got it pretty late, if I do recall correctly. And a lot of people were hitting up in my mentions being like, Utah was clearly overlooked by both of you. I've never been to Utah, but I've heard it's beautiful. And it's a place I definitely want to go. So I feel like I secured that late and definitely that was one of the things that got me over the top in the state draft. But I've always wanted to do a cross, like you're doing like a half cross country trip. I've always wanted to do a cross country trip. My sister and her boyfriend did that coming back from LA to Connecticut and they stopped and they saw you on the way. What's up St. Louis. That's um, right. I've always wanted to do that. So I'm incredibly jealous of people that do get to do that. Even though like yours is like a halfway deal. You're touring like the Midwest slash Southwest part of the country, right? Correct, correct. Um, and I have some stories for you, some updates from the road. But before we do that, we've got to talk about the lemon lime challenge that we're going to do on oh, the pod man. this week. So Chris Long was on the podcast last week. Shout out to him. That was awesome that he took the mm -hmm. time to do that. He was a fruit draft commissioner, Steve, and he had some issues with some of our picks, notably your pick of lime, which was, I think, like six or seven, right? It was high. Yeah, yeah. It was and high. I think, and I think rightfully so. And I think rightfully so as well. And then I had Lemon checking in at number 10. And to be fair, I didn't have anything else left to pick. So that's what I, that's what I chose. But a good pick nonetheless. It's very versatile. Put it in water. Great flavoring component. I mean, yeah, just because you don't get to eat a lemon doesn't mean it's not a great fruit. Well, we get to eat a lemon this week, Steve, because Chris yes. Long, he proposed a challenge to us. He said, hey, if you guys eat a full lemon, which I have here, and you have to eat two limes, Steve, throughout the podcast, he's going to eat mayo on his podcast because he absolutely hates mayo. So here is my lemon that I went and secured on vacation in Joshua Tree, product of Mexico, beautiful. And what I did, Steve, is I cut mine up and I'm just gonna eat the flesh of the lemon as we go on throughout the podcast. Oh, so this is gonna be like a gradual thing. This, okay, so this could be a weird pod then if we're gonna be eating sour fruit throughout <laughs> the pod. I have a knife and I have a cutting board. So I'm just going to cut them up as we speak and just, I guess, take a sliver every, I don't know, every couple of minutes or something. I feel like that's going to drastically disrupt the sh whatever we're talking about in the whole podcast, which may be funny. And if it isn't, sorry in, in advance, I guess. I don't know. If it isn't, blame Chris Long. Yeah, but I would much rather eat, I mean, to his point, I'd much rather eat a lime than have a spoonful of mayo. I like mayo. I think he's a little bit overboard and like, I don't like the mayo thing. I love mayo on a good sandwich. 
mayo when I have cheeseburgers, an underrated component. Um, I'm not one of those psychopaths that puts it on French fries, but I would never, ever want to eat a spoonful of mayo, period. So I would much rather eat two lines. Okay, so dice that bad boy up, Steve, and then go. let's cheers before we start this. Just cutting this bad boy up. So how many slices do you have, just so we're even? I have four, but they're pretty hearty. I mean, if you're looking so at So you this, have four. Like I'll, cut, I'll cut the lime in, into quarters here. So I'll have eight total. So I have to basically yeah. double what you do, but I guess the, the limes are a little bit smaller. Yeah, I think if we're talking circumference, we're eating the same amount. All right, here we go. That one's cut. And then the last one is cut. All right, we're good to go. So we're just gonna start this thing off with just a big old, big old yes. bite of Let's fruit. cheers, ready? Cheers. Boop. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> All right, three, two, one. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> mm. Here's the prop, oh, okay. All not right. actually, no, okay. Not actually that bad. Not as bad as I thought it was gonna be. The problem it's is, can't, I can't bite it. It doesn't come yeah. off and I got it all stuck in my teeth. So shouts out, probably look really good right now. But the problem is, mm. can you bite it off? I can't bite it. No, I'm just kind of sucking the juice out. Oh, that one was really sour. <laughs> okay. Whew. I know. All right, I'm not just, that bad. You know, my strategy here is to bite down in the middle and kind of work out, if that okay. makes sense. I just made a, a graphic <laughs> <laughs> gesture. This is getting weird. This um, is accidentally getting weird, but okay. So we're going to eat this throughout the pot. Okay. We're just, yeah, gonna I got one more here because I got to, I got to double up. So here we go. Okay. Ugh. Okay. Wow. It's, init it's initially really bad, but the aftertaste is actually kind of pleasant. It tastes really good. My mouth feels really refreshed. I'm also like, oh, I'm awake as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you want to wake up in the morning, like forget the coffee, just bite a lime and you're good to go. Like I'm, wow. I'm alive, Michelle. I feel good. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Should we, is this our brilliant business idea? This is what we're going to do to get rich, Steve, and fund this podcast is we're going to come up with some sort of drink or mechanism to just eat lemons and limes in the morning. I tell you what, I, I got off to a slow start this morning. I got a haircut. I was a little bit, I don't know, I sat up late last night doing some stuff. I was a little bit slow, a little bit uh, lethargic, uh, I guess. And now I'm good. Let's do, I'm, I'm fired up. Let's go. And by the way, your hair looks great, Steve. Thank Love you. I know. Shake, had to get a good shape up. Had to get the beard trimmed a little bit. You know, it was a little long overdue. One last thing on the lime thing. I kind of feel like I'm cheating. I'm not really cheating because all I'm doing is biting it and then just the juice explodes. But you can't actually really chew on the whatever the, the flesh or the membrane of it is. You can't really bite it off. It's not like um, an orange or something where it peels off the skin. You really can't do that with a lime. I don't know how the lemon is. No, you can't really get it off the rind. So I think we're just going to have to do our best here. Yeah, we're that's going to have to do our best and All hopefully right. Chris approves. So we're going to be doing this throughout the podcast and we have to finish by the end. We have 45 minutes left on the All clock. Right. So that's not a problem. Let's do it. Keep that in mind as you're pacing yourself. Okay. So Steve, I have two stories for you from the trip. One involving Joshua Tree, the other involving Utah. Which one would you rather hear first? Let's do Joshua Tree first because Joshua Tree is this place that I feel like everyone talks about people visit. I don't even really know where it is, to be honest with you. But I feel like everyone talks about how awesome it is and how weird it is. And I, all, I immediately think of doing peyote in the desert. So is that what Joshua Tree is like? <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, I just maybe, not, maybe not the best time to do that. I just, I'm the type of person that if I have a tough task at hand, I like to barrel through it. I want to just get it over with. Me too. So, rip the bandaid. I, I, I'm not the, rip the bandaid band right off. It's bad. Here's the thing with these. It's initially really bad, but after it's not that bad. So why don't we do this? What right. we should do is... Whenever you go on some sort of long diatribe, I'll take a bite of one. And then whenever I go on some long diatribe, you can take a bite of one. And that okay, way, deal. like, we're not wasting time. I think it'll be good. So Joshua Tree. 
Okay, so I'll tell you about Joshua Tree. You attack the limes. So we got here last night around 5 p.m. And as we rolled in, it was still 100 degrees. 100 degrees <laughs> your face eating these limes. So you're literally in the middle of nowhere, Steve. We were on the road, this one crazy long desert road for about two hours where if you don't have gas or you break down, you're dead. No one is coming to find you. That's how remote it is. And so we get here, 5 p.m., still 100 degrees. You know, that's not really my vibe. I don't like dry being isolated. Heat though, right? dry I, heat. No, no, no. We're talking like <laughs> surface of the sun. We're, okay, it's good. very, very hot. That's my but, nightmare, my personal nightmare. Oh, but then as soon as the sun goes down, beautiful night, right? It's great to sit outside. We cooked dinner here last night. It was amazing. So this morning we get up super early and we're like, okay, let's go on a little bit of a hike. Let's explore Joshua tree. And I had Google, hashtag nature looks good. So I had Googled some of the things to see and there was an arch rock and a heart rock that were right by each other. And people said, oh, those are great places to go. And here's a step-by-step map on how to get there. Steve, we drove into Joshua Tree and you're driving, 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 and it's just a desert. It's a desert with trees and rocks and mountains in the background. And then we get to the spot and we see the rock or where the rock allegedly is. And we're like, okay, so do we just walk through this desert to get there? And of course, in my reading, I had read, hey, there's a shit ton of snakes. Hey, there's, yeah, there's all these things to be aware of and avoid when you're hiking Joshua Tree. So I was like, okay, let's just go to this rock, this one rock, get our picture, and then your girl is out, okay? I'm out before it gets too hot and I get dehydrated and sunburned and I'm certainly out before I get attacked by an animal. Steve, the walk from the road to the rock was the scariest walk of my entire life. I start getting step-by-step in there and you're looking on the ground and there's all these little holes in the sand that you know snakes and scorpions and really scary shit live in. Just waiting and to come it, out and pass. It, just waiting. I call them tunnels of terror. I'm like, what is going to come out of these tunnels of terror to kill me today? And I did not enjoy it. I hated it. Joshua Tree, not for me. I did not get stung or bitten or anything, but I made it to the rock and I was like, okay, it's a, it's a big rock. It is a big rock. I'm in the desert. Yeah. Now I have to walk back through the tunnels of terror to get to the car. And I get to the car feeling very tense and afraid, thinking, why did I just take my life into my hands? That was dumb. And then I Googled how many people die at Joshua Tree every year. And in addition to dehydration, injury, getting hurt or abandoned, it's a graveyard, Steve. People dump bodies out here, okay? We're in the desert and people come here to die. And let me tell you, I'm going to repeat it. Joshua Tree, not for me. Okay, so lots of, tons of thoughts here. First and foremost, on nature in general, or like geological sites, especially like the arch or whatever, the heart rock. In theory, it's like, oh, cool, let's go see this really cool thing that nature formed, right? And, you know, it's not man-made, it's art in, in a sense, it's natural art in a way. But the problem is, after the five seconds of you just looking at it, then what? That's my problem with nature in in a lot of ways. Now, it's one thing to walk through a beautiful forest or see something that's super vast. But the problem is the sensory of you being excited about that is such a short period. At least for me, it's such a short period of time. For example, when my sister was making, as I mentioned, was making her cross-country trip, they stopped at the Grand Canyon. And my initial thought is, all right, you see the Grand Canyon as you take a bite of lemon, what's up? Um, You see the Grand Canyon, you go, oh, this is amazing. This is so cool. And then after 10 seconds, you're like, all right, want to go home? (laughs) 
Now what? You know, what else is there to do? And that's exactly what she said. And I'm sure nature people are going to be all pissed off at me because there's probably a bunch of other things to do. But that's my thing with these amazing natural phenomenon, these sites is, all right, I saw it. Yeah, maybe it's better than Googling a picture of it. But then now what? Now we have to walk all the way back and drive to, you know, drive from wherever we came from. And I'm not sure that to use the analogy about the fruit that we're eating right now, is the juice worth the squeeze? Probably not. When it comes to Joshua Tree, Steve can confirm it is not. Also, isn't there, was U2, is U2 had an album called Joshua Tree, right? Okay, don't yeah. like U2, uh, sorry, U2, sorry, U2 people, if you want to get mad yeah. at me, but I'm not a big U2 fan, but I do know that. And then, is there some sort of music festival at Joshua Tree? Like, should I know these things? I forget. Coachella is right past oh, here. definitely not. In the desert. There. Not my right. scene. Not our, not our scene. scene. Not our, you know what, Steve? There are a lot of places in America that are beautiful and that are our scene and our vibe. Joshua Tree, not it. Not going to be it. What's the attraction? Like, Why do people go there other than to get just hammered and high in the desert? Is that it? I can't figure it out. We were talking about this on the car ride back because Zion was beautiful. Yeah. We hiked a little bit. I mean, it's just so grand and vast and tall. It makes you feel very minuscule compared to the beauty of the world. But Joshua Tree was just barren and dry and scary. And I don't really understand why people would want to go there. We saw a ton of people camping and I thought you couldn't pay me enough money to spend one night here. The chances of me dying are high. You know, it's not going to work out for me if I camp here. Yeah. I asked Chris Long in the last episode about the show alone, where you get stranded in a place and you have to survive and you could, whenever you feel like you're going to die or you want to leave, you could set up a beacon and they'll come pick you up. But it's about survival. I'm pretty sure a desert would be the worst place to be stranded. Yeah. If we're talking terrain, I'm sending up the smoke signal like 10 minutes after I get here. I'd rather be cold. Send me to the Arctic. Send me to Alaska. Send me to, I don't even know, like the, the rainforest. Oh, that'd be scary as hell. But at least you know oh, there's right. water sources there. You could potentially find food. The desert is, a, I mean, there's just nothing. You know me, I'm not a panic type person. But if I'm in the desert stranded alone, imagine if you got stranded there. That'd be the worst place to possibly have to survive because there's all these ridiculous creatures that are trying to kill you. And then also there's no water. You can see mirages. The desert, not for me. Not for me. Plus the heat, you know me and heat. I'd rather be cold than hot. Totally. Um, That's my Joshua Tree experience. I would say, no, don't do it. But everything else I've seen has been very beautiful and I've really enjoyed the trip. But I do have one other quick note for you about Utah. Okay. So Utah, crazy gorgeous. The landscape, amazing. Kind of difficult sometimes to find alcohol. I will tell you that. So I forgot that a lot of places there don't necessarily drink or serve alcohol. So we were in this one town and we went to dinner and we were like, hey, it was a Mexican restaurant. We were like, do you guys have margaritas? And they were like, no, we do not. So you're not a Mexican restaurant. I was like, okay. So we really wanted a drink and we were like, okay, we just like wanted one drink, like a margarita or a glass of wine or something. So we were like, okay, let's go to a liquor store and we can bring it back to the house and we can just hang out a little bit outside. So we typed in a liquor store in our GPS and we drove there and the GPS took us to the police station. Wait a second. That was a thing that they were trying to catch people who were looking for alcohol. Cause I could see you at the Mexican restaurant being like, can I have a drink? And you're, and the people like the, you know, who are there are like, who are these debaucherous city folk? Get out of here. We don't right. need you here. Right. Stop infiltrating and taking over or whatever. And uh, so I get that, but that can't be a coincidence. I think it was a sting operation. Yeah. They're literally just, <laughs> it was they, a they, sting. Do, you walk, do people walk into the police station and go, Hey, can I buy some alcohol here? Yeah. Like, do you guys have white claw here or what? <laughs> 
Side note, I, I have a breakthrough for the lemon deal. I think I actually may be able to bite this one because I'm, oh. I'm able to peel the skin off, as you can see here. So for Chris, if he wants to tell me that I didn't do this correctly, I'll do this one right now, which is- I'm just kind of flattening it out. So that's what I've done for most of my life. If you look at this one, I've just taken a bite out of it and it's like a disaster. This one, this could be a problem. So let me try this real quick. It looks like an orange slice. Well, it is, except it's just, it's lime and it's probably not as pleasant. This might be the end of the podcast for me. Hold on. Oh God, your face. <laughs> you look like you're in so much pain. Are you okay? Yeah. It's actually not that bad. Your face tells My me My face wouldn't suggest that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, not that bad. The problem, ooh, so I swallowed it. Okay. So the problem is the initial bite is so sour. <laughs> but it's actually kind of pleasant after that. So you know what, Chris? That one's for you. Chris, ooh. this is for you, buddy. Hmm. Wow. Actually, not that bad. So here's the rind. So I literally did peel it off of the... Boom. Look at that. Don't say I didn't do it. You've done anyway, it. Zion, alcohol. Utah so, is a anyway. place where I feel like I would not... I, beautiful place, but do you want to live there? Would you want to live there? Probably not. Right. Well, that brings me to my question for you, Steve. So very beautiful place. It doesn't have access to all the things that we might need to live okay so question for you would you rather live in the best neighborhood in new york city and you can have everything at your disposal the best restaurants right down the street culture people sports everything but you live in a tiny apartment so you have limited limited space or you could live in a mountain town in utah and you have the space and the scenery but nothing around you Nothing around you that you would normally have in your social life or really a day-to-day -day life. It's a great question. And I, in different circumstances, would love both options. But if you're telling me that I have to live in one place, like that's where I spend the majority of my time. Yeah. I would choose the city with limited space and all cool things around me. Because I've always said this, and Maddie and I are on the same sort of wavelength on this, is I don't need a ton of space. I would live in a cool place that's very small if it was around a bunch of other stuff that I like or people that I like or things that are attractions or whatever, or was within close proximity to things that I like to do, as opposed to living on this massive ranch where I have all this space and, you know, I could scream in the morning and nothing, you know, no one to hear me for miles mm -hmm. or whatever, which is cool. I would want to do that, but I would want a vacation there. I wouldn't want to live there. There are things about the New York City or cities in general that I don't like, but if I had to live in one place... I want to be close to things that I can do, people that I like, good restaurants, all this stuff, even if I'm living in an apartment the size of the room I'm in right now. Yeah, you know my answer. I'm going to city 10 out of 10 times. But I was wondering about you because you do have kind of a mountain deal going on where I could see wanting to live off the land a little bit and have some space to roam. So that's why I was wondering what you would choose. But it doesn't surprise me that you eventually picked a city. On vacation, yeah, hell yeah. Do I want to get off the grid for a week? Oh my God. Put your phone down, not have to deal with technology, just be one with nature. Yes. I don't want to live that like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I want to live that for two weeks tops. And then I'm like, all right, I need to get back to civilization as you take another vinyl. Uh, Is this lemon. getting on your teeth to it's where it's hard for you teeth. to talk? I'm going to have to floss after this. It's a No, I mean, it's like suctioning my lips to my teeth oh no like all this pulp is stuck in my teeth and Ooh. it's a bummer so sorry to people if you can see my teeth i'm, okay, I'm trying so, to i'm trying to peel off another one here but i'm getting oof. juice everywhere that's a problem yeah i mean chris better come through with this mayo because this is brutal again um, i think his is worse than ours i really believe that 
I believe that too. Okay, so another thing, Steve. I'm not really a road trip type girl. Oh, love uh, a good road trip. What don't I, you like about it? I don't mind a long drive. Go to Chicago, five hours, nothing. Yes. You're not a Midwesterner if you don't love a long drive. Come on. Exactly. Five hours, six hours is about what I like. You know, yeah. anything past that, I'm over. And this has been long stretches in the car, long stretches in the car. I think a good road trip, you get a good playlist going. It's almost like the road trip when you go from LA to Vegas, like in the hangover. Yeah. That's what I picture a road trip. People are going weird. Guy's got his head stuck out the window. Good music. <laughs> I don't know. But I get why after like a half an hour, that might get old. Yes. Well, what I have done is I've downloaded a ton of movies and I've just been chilling in the back seat, like passenger two seat in the back with my headphones on watching movies. And I had a list of movies that I was watching and I watched a movie that I have a lot of opinions on and I texted you about it and I know that you've watched it too. And so we need to talk about it. And the movie I'm talking about is The Lobster. It was nominated for a lot of awards. A lot of people said, wow, that's a great film. That's a very thought provoking film. You need to see The Lobster. And I watched it, Steve, and it might be the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. So I've been meaning to watch this movie since it came out. I love Colin Farrell. I love the concept of you get 45 days to match up with or find a partner, right? Because in this society, you cannot be single. So you get 45 days to either find a match or if you don't after the end of the time, you get turned into the animal of your choice. It's a weird concept. Right. And the whole thing, it's like a quirky, weird comedy drama. And I actually liked it more than you did. I didn't love it. But here's the thing. There were times in that movie, Michelle, where I laughed out loud at certain things. And I thought it was too long. I thought it was definitely like way too deep and kind of weirdly artsy. Although sneaky, great cast of people that I didn't even know were in the movie. But my only thing was it was way too long for me because the idea of it and the humor of it, I actually kind of found kind of funny. The tone was so monotonous and boring and they were so awkward as people. This is not a spoiler alert, but when Colin Farrell and John C. Riley and the other dude got in that fight and they were just kind of hitting each other awkwardly. See, that was I so fit. <laughs> felt weird inside. My body cringed into itself watching that. It made me want to throw up. I was so uncomfortable. Part of the humor in all of this is that the people would try to be masked based on the most superficial, stupid things. There was one woman there who got constant nosebleeds. So this guy wanted to match up with her. So he faked having nosebleeds. And that was the thing they had in common. So they got together and they lived happily ever after. We know it's totally ridiculous. Just because two people have nosebleeds doesn't mean that they're, they're going to fall in love or like each other. But the best line I thought in the entire movie was when they were giving them that send off party. And you know, everyone was wishing them best wishes. And the main woman at this hotel where all these people go to was like, you know, obviously we'll be monitoring you to make sure everything goes okay. And if you do hit like a rocky patch, we'll give you a kid because that usually helps. That to me was one of the funniest things I've ever heard in movies in the last couple of years. I laughed out loud for a good five straight minutes of that. That was a good line. I thought the concept, Steve, was really brilliant. And I appreciate the commentary about relationships and about dating and about societal pressure to be in a couple and how people, especially in modern dating, are trying to match on apps based on superficial things. And I also thought, as you mentioned with the kids and just the things that people do to stay together for appearances was interesting, but the execution of it, it was such a snooze. It was so uncomfortable. It was one of those movies that I kept watching to see what happened at the end, but I wanted it to be over. I wanted it to end. I agree. It was two hours and it was probably 30 minutes too long for me. If it was an hour and a half, I think I would have liked it a lot more than I did. I was trying to compare it to other movies for people that haven't necessarily seen it. 
but have seen other popular movies. And I think what they were trying to go for was the best in show kind of vibe where, because that, that movie was very dry, but it was very funny and very well done. So the fact that it was all on one level, as you said, and the people never had any excitement, it was just kind of boring, but that's part of what the humor was. I get why they were doing that, but I just think you can't make a two-hour movie that's all that because at some point you're going to be like, all right, when is this thing going to end? What's the point? Although there were a couple of twists in there that I actually did really like. But I mean, obviously this leads to the great question of if you were in this scenario, what animal are you being turned into? Thank you for asking that because I was going to ask you as well. I thought his choice of a lobster was pretty good. Um, not, well, think about it. It's a crustacean. You're going to be in the sea, which is kind of cool. It's a different vibe than being a human because we can't live underwater. And all you have to really do as a lobster is kind of avoid sharks and fishing boats. Your chance of survival is higher than, say, if you were a squirrel or something. Here's my question, though. The main character, Colin Farrell, his brother, Bob, was turned into a dog. Mm-hmm. And he basically had Bob with him for most of the movie. I don't think they ever answered this. Does Bob know, is he consciously know that he was a human at one point? Or, or do you just only know that you're a dog? Because I think I that think makes a big you difference. Know. I think you know, like, hey, it's me, Bob, as a dog. So if you're a lobster in the sea, yes, okay, you can be smart and try to avoid boats and things like that. But if you're just a lobster, you're kind of dumb and you're probably going to get caught and you're going to get put in a boiling pot at some point, like the guy in the movie said. And a lobster, like you can't even move fast. A lobster to me would have not been the choice that I would have picked. I mean, I think part of the thing was that how ridiculous that would have been to be turned into a lobster. That's part of the humor of the movie. But for me, I'd want to be something more exciting. I don't know. Uh, I have my answer. Do you have yours? Yes. Okay. You go first. I would be a dolphin because I would get to swim in the sea. I would get to jump out of the water, which would be super exciting and fun to do. And dolphins are one of the smartest mammals out there. What I would do is be one of those dolphins that waits till the boats come by and then I would show off and I would jump out of the water. That's a good call. Dolphins notoriously dicks, like they're mean animals. Although, you know, if you were actually yourself, you would be a nice dolphin. So that's good. They need more dolphins like you. I would be like Flipper. I'd be the congenial, friendly dolphin. Yeah, you'd hang out by boats and everyone would be like, oh my God, look at the cute dolphin. Oh goodness. Yeah, that'd be a good life. I wouldn't hate that. Um, I don't think I would want to live in the sea though. The sea's kind of gross and messy. I'd be a bear. I think a bear would be awesome. Everyone's afraid of you. You're like the top of the food chain, right? You're huge. You're really cool. But also you have this great fur on you. So you're never really going to be that cold. They're also great fishermen. So shouts out. I love eating fish. Then what's up? You can just catch fish in your mouth. No big deal. And plus they have really cute cubs. I think being a bear would be an awesome thing. You'd have to sleep a lot though. You'd have to hibernate. Whereas totally for fine. Me, if I'm a dolphin, I'm in warm water. I'm getting a, a you know a tropical vibe going, splashing around, having a good time 24 seven. Whereas you are going to have hands though. You don't in a cave. You only have fins. You don't have any hands. That would bother me. I think I'd be annoyed by that. I'd want to be able to pick up and grab something. As a dolphin, you're very limited. You're only confined to the water. Whereas if I'm a bear, I can go swimming still. I can still enjoy water. I think I'd be a grizzly bear, not a black bear, because black bears are the ones that like hang out around houses and eat people's garbage. Those are not the bears I want to be. I want to be a grizzly bear in like the middle of Alaska. So if we were at the resort and we were turned into animals, we would never see each other again. I would be by sea, you'd be by land. I'm surprised neither of us picked by air. I thought definitely you'd pick a bird, fly around. Nah, I hate, uh, birds are gross. I don't like birds. I think it'd be pretty cool to be a bald eagle. Another notoriously dickish animal. So you would bring some niceness to that. But birds gross me out and the flying thing is cool, but eh, I don't want talons and nah, that's pass. There aren't that many cool birds. Like, what, am I going to be a hawk? I don't want to be a hawk. Do you think the bird thing is akin to nature, like us going to nature, where the thought of it and the concept of it is better than it actually is? Like, going to the desert in Joshua Tree, 
isn't that great in reality, whereas flying around is cool for like 30 minutes. And then you're thinking, okay, I need to find somewhere to land. I need to nest. I yeah, have like, to lay, lay these eggs. <laughs> do you think birds, because everyone, you know, humans are like, oh, it'd be so cool to be a bird because you could fly. Do you think birds look at us and go, oh shit, it must be, I'm like jealous of humans. Look at, they could drive a car. They can move their neck in like interesting ways. I think flying is really cool, but I think it would, it wouldn't be that cool after like a couple of weeks. Where are you with your limes, by the way? Oh my God, I'm barreling through these and we got have 20 minutes left on the clock. I have two pieces left. That's it. So here's my rinds. As you can see, I've been biting them down. So I probably only have a little bit of skin left. Yeah, these are my empty ones. Woo. It's actually not bad. I wonder if we're going to get some weird indigestion later, so hopefully not. Yeah. But it's actually not as bad as I thought it would be. You know, mine isn't terrible, but it's also not enjoyable. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for Chris, uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but if I was to like juice these into some good limeade, done and done. Done and done. Okay, Steve, back to movies. So I've forced you to watch The Lobster. If we're going with the small talk rating system here, how many SIGs are you giving The Lobster? What was this, out of 10 or five? I forget. I think out of five. I'd give it two and a half SIGs because I like the idea and I did laugh a lot when the woman jumped out the window and Colin Farrell throws his golf clubs down and was annoyed that she was bothering him because he was playing this role. You have to watch the movie to understand what we're talking about. But that's really funny. So two and a half for the idea and the amount of times that it made me laugh, but also two and a half because it was way too long and it definitely dragged. I'm giving it a half of a SIG, and wow. it's one of those crumpled butts that you see in an ashtray at a dive bar. That's what I'm giving it. And it's a Virginia Slim. Yeah, it's a Virginia Slim. It's disgusting. I loved the concept. It had a great cast. I get all the symbolism. I get what they're trying to do. But just because a movie has an interesting concept and has interesting social commentary doesn't mean it's entertaining. It still has to be entertaining. And I was not entertained. I'm more likely to give you props for the idea, but you're right. There were times where, and I could see you just be, totally not being oh. down with this movie at all. As I'm watching it, I'm laughing at it because I'm like, I know why Michelle hates this movie. But I think we were talking to her, at least I was, I believe I was talking to Rosillo about it. And I think unsurprisingly, Rosillo does like this movie, which is hilarious. So I was also watching it through that prism being like, I know why Ryan does like it. And I know why Michelle hates it. And I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, of course, Mr. Manchester by the sea loved the dark Societal piece, yeah. Societal piece, totally. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of another dismissive word for it because that's how much I hated it. Also as a single guy, you know, whatever. This is a question now I'm going to ask all my friends what animal they would be turned into. Yeah, it actually says a lot about you because if someone's like, oh, I want to be like a, I don't know, a chicken, you'd be like, no, this person sucks. A chicken? That would be so far down on the list. That's why I said that person would suck. You could tell a lot about a person based on what animal they would want to be. Speaking of movies that suck, we also both watched The Social Dilemma. Ugh. And The Social Dilemma was interesting. It was really well done, but it was horrifying. It was absolutely horrifying. And it's left a sheen of gross residue on both of our lives. And so we have to talk about it because anytime I pick up my phone, I feel gross. Anytime I open up Instagram, I feel gross. I've told a bunch of my friends, I don't want to chat within Instagram anymore. If you have something to say to me, text me because I don't want to give any of these platforms the love that they want. They have addicted us to these platforms and it's made me sick. If you want to be bummed out for two hours, go ahead and watch <laughs> The Social Dilemma. But I also say that, and on the other side of that, I believe that it should be somewhat required viewing. A lot of these things I knew about what social media companies and what tech companies were doing and selling our data. And I don't actually have a huge issue with companies using 
what we post and what we do on their platforms to try to sell us ads. That's not the problem I have. The biggest problem I had with what they're doing that I think I knew, but I didn't fully understand until I saw this documentary. It is a documentary, right? I guess yeah. like it was, it was also a story involved as well, which is kind of interesting. But the biggest thing that I took away from it is just how it helps perpetuate and create these stupid echo chambers of people that get fed misinformation. And this is, again, this is not political. This is both sides of the aisle. These algorithms feed you things that may or may not even be real information that help you sort of determine how you feel about the world around you. And a lot of times they're feeding you bullshit. And the weird part about it too, Michelle, was that I don't even think these companies are that malicious. I just think that's the algorithm that they put together. And it has created this way that society views things. A lot of the things that they created have unintended consequences on how people adults, middle-aged people like us, and young people view the world around them. And one of the saddest parts of the whole thing, our generation, we're kind of the generation where we grew up without social media, but then we were introduced to social media in our like late teens, early 20s kind of thing. Whereas this, the generation now grew up only knowing social media and a lot of their interactions and things that they do are only online. So they only know how to make friends online. They only know how to interact with people through likes and retweets and all this bullshit. And we have the added benefit of, of growing up not needing that, but also having this technology. And the way that they described how this impacts young people, specifically girls, is actually, I mean, it's, it's really depressing and sad and something kind of needs to be done about it. Gosh, there's so much to get into. There's so many tentacles here. Um, I want to start first, though, with the misinformation thing. I'll just kind of go through the way that you laid it out, because that was the most shocking part of this for me, that you and I could be in the same room and we could Google the exact same thing word for word and based on our search history, based on the database and profile that these companies have essentially curated for us based on our online behavior, they're going to feed you information that they think might intrigue you or pique your interest so that you stay on their platforms mm -hmm. longer so that they can make money from ad revenue. So one of the things that they said is, our country is clearly very divisive right now. There's this side and there's this side and there's not a lot of in between. And one of the most common thought processes is how can Steve think that? Is he not seeing what I'm seeing? Is he not reading what I'm reading? And the answer is yes, he is not reading what I am Quite reading. Quite literally, yes. <laughs> Quite literally, <laughs> we are reading two separate batches of information on a daily basis and that is horrifying. Yeah, and I've said it multiple times. If I wanna find the facts on something, it shouldn't be a struggle to figure out where to find that. And it kind of is right. a struggle a lot of the time. But it opened up kind of Pandora's box for me to think, okay, how do I even get information though? Certainly there's news outlets that you trust and that you would go to. But then I think on a mass scale, how do you let people know that this is happening and that they need to seek out differing viewpoints? Because I think that's part of the problem now is you're developing these feeds based on people that you follow and you're not really seeing any dissenting opinion or dissenting information. So if I'm following people who I align with on certain issues or that I find interesting, they're only going to continue to regurgitate thoughts that I already have or that I already agree with. And then if I'm searching things and I'm getting fed information from news outlets that are also echoing this back to me, where's the dialogue? Where's the conversation? How do you even have any sort of evolution and having people maybe change their thought process or get to the middle if every day from this you're just getting the same thoughts over and over again yeah and you know one of the weird parts to me too was 
we're guilty of this for sure. We get our news from a lot of these places. Right. And even though there are some reputable news sources and places on social media, not all this news and things that is presented to you as quote unquote news is actually real news. Right. And it's hard to sort of figure out what is true and what isn't true. And for someone who isn't, you know, researching all this stuff and looking up and fact checking and trying to, as you said, trying to find a dissenting opinion, it's very easy at the base level to just be like, Oh, I saw this on the internet. Like it's a hundred percent true. And then that's the way that you look at the world. That's the way you view some certain issue. So I don't know. I, the whole thing was really, really eye-opening and depressing to me. And I think the other thing that's kind of weird too is social media and all this stuff is so, and tech companies are so entrenched in what we do every, in everyday life, everything we right. do. So it's, it's, it's very easy to say, oh, I'll just put down your phone and get off social media or do all this stuff. But for people like you and I, we really can't do that. It's part of our job, right? To post on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, let people know we're going to put content out there, right? And so it's very easy to just say, oh, put your phone down and don't be on social media. But it's kind of reached a point where for a lot of people, it's kind of impossible to do that. Yeah, they've intertwined themselves so deeply into not only our lives and our behavior patterns, but literally into our brains. They talk about how these programmers, people who build these social media apps for us, actually learn about psychology and behavior patterns and how they can trigger certain things within us to make us want to come back to this all the time. And Steve, you mentioned the effect that this is having on women and young girls in particular. And this is one of those things that I don't, I don't think a guy can ever really understand what it's like to be a woman or especially to be a woman online and the pressure that you feel from an appearance standpoint, from the media. And now it's not only movie stars and models and all of this stuff that's being thrown at us saying, you need to look like this. You need to be desirable for men. You, you know, this, this, and this is not okay. And this, this, and this is okay. And just the constant pressure that women feel to look a certain way and the impact that it has on our self-esteem. But now you have all these social media outlets with all of these people that you know looking amazing and it could be so fake whether it's filters or whether they face tuned or contrasted here or there and then you could post something and it's this really vapid validation that you're getting that your worth is predicated on the way that you look and you could post a picture that normally a lot of people would like at a time when not a lot of people are online and it could have nothing to do with the way that you look and it's going to mess with your brain and make you think oh my god you know what was this a bad picture whatever and thank god as you mentioned our generation kind of has one foot in one foot out on all this so we can discern what's important and we can discern that our worth yeah. isn't derived from likes from strangers. But the stats that they gave about young girls and depression and suicide rates based on social media were terrifying. And you had all of these people who were high up at these companies that developed these apps who have either quit or gone into something else because they acknowledge how detrimental this is to society and how detrimental this is to young kids. And it really bummed me out because I don't think anything's going to be done to stop it. I think it's so far beyond us. And it makes me really scared for kids that are growing up. It's almost like a rating system. They feel like they, their worth is only determined by how many followers or likes that they have. We had a real life instance in my house the other day. So I forget what her name is, but she's an HGTV person. She sells houses. She used to be married to this guy, Taryn. She's like a blonde girl. She, she sells houses on HGTV. She has one of those shows on HGTV and she just got divorced. They just announced that they were getting divorced. And Maddie, my wife, turns to me and she was like, a couple of weeks ago, they were posting about how happy they were, pictures of their kids, like everything was going so well. She's like, is Instagram just not real? And I was like, 
no, it's no. Like how many times do we have, it is not real. It is this mirror. It's like this black mirror of everybody posts when they're on vacation, when they're doing these awesome things. No one ever really posts like when they're down. And I get why they don't do that because that's just, I'm sure that's not going to get many likes and it's not going to make you feel as good as a person, but you can't believe all the bullshit that you see just because someone seems like they're killing it and you know, their career is going great. And like they have so many friends and everyone's throwing them these likes. They could be very, very hollow. And they could have, you know, their life could not be very fulfilling. And there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So, and it's easy for you to look at that and be depressed and you know, seeing someone be like, oh, they're, they're killing it. They're doing so well. Like, what am I doing? And your response could be, all right, I'll just post more positive things on social media, which should not be the answer to the question. So the whole thing was really depressing, but I think it's worth at least knowing. But the problem is, Michelle, is for people like you and me, we can't just quit social media. It just, it's not possible. I truly think if I didn't have this job, I would be off social media. It doesn't really serve me. It doesn't serve me in a lot of ways. I'm told all the time that I need to post more. You need to share more of yourself on social media. And I'm like, I feel like I already share way too much. I feel like I already share way more than I'm comfortable with. And, you know, I try to find avenues to do it, but I just, I don't understand why we need it. I mean, and there's a lot of cool things that come out of it. You know, people do connect online. And, and that's they what make, they point out. They point yeah. that out. Yeah having information at your fingertips is awesome. There's a lot of great things that come out of it, but there's gotta be some sort of regulations. They had that one expert who was saying, I wouldn't even let my kids get on social media until they're 16. And I think maybe that's something that you take this away from kids so that they're not only communicating on Snapchat and then wanting to get plastic surgery at 12 years old because they don't look like a Snapchat filter. Yeah. And the problem is that we have sort of trained our minds to whenever you have a half a second of downtime to look at your phone, that's instinctively what you do now. I don't think you can untrain that. I'm not a body behavioralist. I'm not a psychologist. Maybe you can, but that is so deeply entrenched in what we do. Think about it. You're just waiting around. You have three seconds of downtime. What are you going to do? Uh -huh. Look at your phone. And the other thing that was crazy too is how they get you with the notifications. The notification. Oh. I've turned off a lot of the notifications on things, especially for apps that I don't need. But Whenever you hear your phone buzz or you see that thing pop up, it is impossible not to look at your phone. It's crazy how they just mind fuck you that way. Totally. I've turned off a bunch too. But the question I have for you is, is do you think you could survive without it? If I said to you, hey, Steve, tomorrow I'm taking away your phone. I'm taking away all of your social media apps. You can have a laptop to do work on and you can only access your email when you're on your work computer during work hours or whatever, but no Instagram, no Twitter, no Pinterest, no Facebook, whatever. Could you survive without it? I could definitely survive. And I feel like it's really easy to say, but it's not easy doing what we do. So I think I would have to have a different career though. If I was like an accountant and I just went plugged in nine to five every day, plugged in some numbers and went home, there's no need for me to have a Twitter. I always say this to my friends who are in the media business. I'm like, you guys shouldn't be on Twitter. Twitter is a waste of time. And for me and you, it helps us get ideas out there and see what other people are thinking about to think about ideas for shows. And it's overall good. I do get it for some news, which I know you shouldn't get it for, for all your news, but I do get it for some of the news. But if I didn't work in this industry, I would not be on Twitter, period. End of story. It is a toxic cesspool of bullshit and you shouldn't be on it, period. Facebook, I don't even, I have my Facebook, but I don't even remember my email. So I don't, I don't, I can't delete it. So that's where I'm at on Facebook. Instagram would be the hard one because I think Instagram I enjoy looking at pictures and seeing what people are doing and kind of going through the, the video wormholes. But I think that would be kind of a, after like a couple of weeks of not needing it and not doing it, I don't think I would miss it that much. What about you? Yeah, Twitter is a cesspool of hatred and grossness. I do like it 
for a news source just because it's very streamlined for me to see things. And that's where news breaks a lot of times mm -hmm. now. And I really like that you can watch videos and have articles there that are at your disposal, but I could get rid of Twitter in five seconds. I would yep. not miss it one bit. I'm not active on Facebook. <laughs> I'm not someone that has an active Facebook account. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is our, our great diss of all time. Yeah, yeah our, our big, big diss. Facebook, bye, see you later, couldn't care less. I actually think that it would be harder for me to give up email or actually I don't really care about email. I don't count oh. email though. I okay, didn't like okay. how they included that because email to me is not a social media platform. It's a tech company. Like I get that. And Google does it. And I'm sure they, they use all the information that you have, but email, no, I, it's impossible to give up. You literally couldn't exist in the world today without email period. Right. I think Instagram would be the hardest and you're right. It is hollow and it's fake, you know, you're not going to post a picture of yourself crying and be like, I've gotten a big fight with my boyfriend today. He said some really mean things because that's attention seeking. And no one wants to air out their business that way because that's something that bothers me too. We talk about, Oh, everybody only puts these beautiful filtered photos up and it's a fake representation of their actual life. But I also don't want to put a picture up of me stubbing my toe saying, ow, my foot hurts today. Life sucks. Because then you're asking for people to be like, don't worry, turn that frown upside down. You're amazing. Things are going to get better. I don't want that either. Can we also get rid of the hashtag no makeup thing? Because sometimes I feel like girls do post a picture of them not wearing makeup, but they still clearly look like things have been doctored. It's not fully all natural, which again, I don't even care. Like if you want to post a picture of yourself looking as weird, you know, not everyone could look like a 10 all the time. I mean, there are times I wake up in the morning and I'm like, God, I, I have to comb my hair, brush my beard out or else I look like a homeless person. And if I posted that picture online, maybe it would be funny. Maybe it would be not because I'm a dude. But sometimes I feel like even the ones that are like, no hashtag, no filter, hashtag, no makeup, you still look really good in the picture. So it's not like you're posting a bad picture of yourself. Yeah, if you post hashtag, no filter, hashtag, no makeup, but you have a ring light, taking the photo yeah, exactly. yeah yeah and you put on tinted moisturizer or it's, or it's on oslo count. you swipe over to oslo <laughs> on, on instagram like no that's not come on right right and yeah you have no makeup not, but you look great yeah you have no makeup but you've clearly used a ring light and you've doctored it a little bit so i don't think it counts but that's the problem right is that no one's going to post a busted photo of themselves yeah. Anyway, I think everybody should watch it. It's a great documentary. It's horrifying, but you're right. I think everybody should be required to watch it. It's almost like signing a waiver. Like you watch that documentary, signing a mental waiver with yourself, knowing what you're getting yourself into with social media. I would love to quit some of this stuff. I don't know if it's possible. I mean, I've kind of already quit Facebook, so I'm a third of the way there. Okay, so the way we felt about Facebook initially 10 years ago or whatever, and now we're that way with Facebook, maybe in 10 years we'll feel the same way about Instagram. We can just totally walk away. Yeah, will there be one day when everyone looks at Instagram as like, that's where all the old people are or the stupid old people are. And everyone on TikTok yeah. is like this higher evolved human being. Like, oh, if you're cool, you're on TikTok. Or so there will probably be some new thing at that point that we don't even know about yet. Before we wrap up here, I did buy something else at the grocery store in Joshua Tree. And it's cherry. Yes. Wow. This is like a big eating challenge day here on the pod. <laughs> yeah. We got to figure out here. I got to get one with the stem because some of these are, you know, in the jar, some have stems, some do not. I okay. love maraschino cherries. I love maraschino cherries. Is it maraschino? So, uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. Tomato, tomato. Okay. Okay. So here it is. Cherry. You can see the stem. Very jealous of you right now. We're talking arrow straight okay so you're going to tie this into a knot in your mouth uh -huh. this this is wow 
this is like x-rated right now this is intense this is like the <laughs> you, can, you can look away if you want this is like nc17 here i don't know what we're doing anyway all right okay you ready yeah i can't believe you're gonna be able to do this are you one of those people that can do the w tongue thing too as you're like doing this right now those people are weird stem untied untied ready going in oh that was a fat you that was fast too you for, see it? that was like three seconds of real time you see it that's pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I think, I think, I don't know what that earns you, but that's like a, some serious amount of street cred there for you. It's my party trick. It's the only thing that I can do. I can't play an instrument. Some people can do like the cocktail thing where they throw the drinks around. You still have to do the Starburst one. You made okay. that look too easy. I wonder if the Starburst one okay. is harder. I just want to know when you knew that you were able to do this. How much practice goes into this? Is this something that you tried by yourself for like weeks on end to do, be able to do at a party? Or did you just discover that you could do it one day? I think somebody dared me to do it. And I was like, oh, that was easy. And you just it's, did it at a party. Yeah, it's all about, it's just all about technique. You just fold it with your tongue and you, you fold it. You, you fold it in half and you just put the hole Here. through the other hole. Yeah, you put the- So you fold it like this. We'll post this on YouTube later for a tutorial. No, we won't. <laughs> I can't do it if I'm laughing. I have to focus because your tongue is very crucial here. But you fold it in half and then you just push the one side through. Tying knots is pretty simple. I just didn't think you'd be able to do it with your tongue. I want to see you do the, the Starburst one will be next time. That seems harder. I have one here, but we've already done enough food for We've already today. done enough. By the way, I want to shout out to you because oh, Maddie so and I- Oh, should we do a shout out corner? All right, yeah, let's do, let's do, well, you know, let's do a full shout out corner because I got two. Okay. Before we do the shout out corner though, can we- Oh, yeah. I'm done. This is, so you've eaten them all. So some of them I've eaten where I've literally eaten the entire thing. Some of them I've just bit and, you know, basically took all the juice out. It's really hard to get the membrane and eat that. So yeah. two, it looks like three of them I was able to peel and the remaining five, I just bit like this. I feel like job well done. So that's what I did. I tried to get as much of the membrane or whatever this is out, but I just bit it down, sucked all the juice out. But yeah, we've got four of these bad boys empty. All right, Saruti, so let's show the evidence here. We have completed the Chris Long Lemon Lime Challenge. Chris, if you're watching or listening to this, it's on you. The tables have turned. We want to see the mayo. Spoonful of mayo. What do we think? Two spoonfuls of mayo? One spoonful? I feel like I ate two limes. You had a full lemon. No. One spoonful of mayo doesn't feel like it's enough. I think it does. I think one spoonful of mayo sounds disgusting. It's got to be a, big, a hefty one then. It's got to be like a big spoon. Yeah, it has to be a full dollop you know like if you were going to take the spoon and click it out it's a full dollop of mayo for sure, for sure so we've completed your challenge and now we challenge you yeah balls in your court bro balls in um, your court okay see before we wrap this up though let's do a shout out corner shall we yeah i got two things first and foremost i want to shout you out because uh maddie and i got the care package which i oh. thought i knew you were sending me a, a st louis uh city fc scarf which i was really Wait. pumped about and i don't see it up there steve i know well on this wall here, it's very empty. There's just a mirror. That's where all my scarves are going to go. I have not okay. been able to decorate it yet. This one here is my USA scarf. The one back there is a Premier League. All of the other scarves that I have are going to go on this wall at some point. I will do that. Okay. But I did love the St. Louis scarf. Awesome color scheme. It's really well made, too. I, I have some shitty scarves, and I have some really nice scarves. That's on the high end of scarves, so shout out nice. to you and shout out to the people at St. Louis City. Also, you sent a bunch of candy which some of them were, I believe, rudely labeled. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of judgment. I believe, on, what was it, on the Raisinets one, it was bad candy, basically. You were like writing you know, your, inter your internal dialogue and what you thought the candy was like. And I'll okay. also say this. So you sent me Mambas. Yeah. 
I did. First time trying Mambas, I actually have one right here and I got a bunch of wrappers that I already ate. Mambas are freaking good. Fire, right, dude? They're really good. But here's the thing. They're just a slightly better version of Laffy Taffy's. They taste exactly the same. But they're in that Starburst Laffy Taffy family. Yes. They're, I don't think they're as good as Starburst because Starburst to me is just a top tier candy. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm doing Mamba Laffy Taffy's, Mamba's are probably just slightly ahead of Laffy Taffy's. They're really, really good. So Maddie and I were completely um, in opposite feelings about this. She thought they tasted like Pepto-Bismol. I thought they tasted great. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed them because that was the whole point of the care package is to get you some good candy. Yeah, so uh, there's also a Charleston Chew there with a, with a very judgy note on it. So Michelle, she did gift us these nice things, but also made us know how she feels about them. That's right. I'm an opinionated girl. What can I say? <laughs> That's all right. I get it. Okay, any other shout outs before I give one? Why don't you go give your next one and I'll save mine for, my other one for last. So I weirdly wanted to shout out the deodorant industry because yeah. I went to a CVS to get deodorant and I had to pick up some for me and some for a guy. And I was looking at the names of the women's deodorant. It's like lilac, lavender, unscented. And then I look at the guys and it's like playmaker, wilderness, <laughs> man. It's like the people who make men's deodorant, men and women's deodorant understand that a woman is just like, make me smell like a flower. And a man is like, I want the concept, right? I want to smell like wilderness, man. I want to smell Pine like leaves. The, yeah. yeah, I want to smell like the playmaker. I want to <laughs> smell like a night on the town or whatever. Yeah. And um, I just appreciated that. I never realized that when you're buying deodorant, you're buying more of an idea than you are a scent. Yeah, that was like the Sex Panther cologne in Anchorman. Yeah, like, that's yeah. just the deal, like Sex Panther. Like everybody was like, yeah, Sex Panther, that's awesome. Uh, deodorant, by the way, in the Suri household, we have been experimenting mostly because of my mother-in-law with some of the natural deodorants. Tough, I've done go, it tough. Go ahead and throw all those out before you even try. They're terrible. Bad. They don't work. They make you smell, Bad. they actually somehow make you smell worse, so. Yeah, and you're sweaty. Yeah, you literally still sweat, but you just smell worse. That's how yeah. they work. And then it's like, oh, no, it takes two weeks to cleanse your body of the toxins. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to smell like shit for two weeks. So I'm going to go ahead yeah. and just keep using the regular sticks. Sorry. My last shout out corner is this is a random one. Mike Golick Sr. For those of you that have not seen Mike Golick Sr. recently, you know, I worked with Mike for about a year working on Mike and Mike. Great dude. Awesome show to work on. Really fun guy. And obviously his, his son, Michael Jr. has been on the show before. Also a great guy as well. But I hadn't seen Michael Senior for a while. He was always clean shaven, same kind of hairstyle deal. And all of a sudden, he just pops up out of nowhere with this glorious beard looking, I think, the best he has maybe in his entire life. <laughs> so I just want to shout out Michael Senior because I think he looks amazing. And now he's doing stuff on TV as well. So yeah, like he's aging like a fine wine in some ways. It just took him a little bit of time to figure out what his look was. But he certainly has found his look. And I think beards for a lot of guys... They instantly add like one or two points to your hotness scale. So if you haven't, okay. if you're like insecure about the way you look, try out a beard. It might add one or two points and more girls might talk to you. I don't know. Can confirm the beard allure is very real. Yeah. And I've had a beard for a long time. I probably haven't cleanly shaved in, I don't know, at least five or so years. A lot of it is just out of pure laziness because I don't like shaving, period. But <laughs> one time I trimmed my beard really short and I actually saw what my face looked like. And I was like, I don't like this. Ew. <laughs> So I grew my beard back instantly and I haven't looked back since. Well, Steve, I'm glad you finally did find your look because I mean, you got a haircut today. It looks great. You'll look clean and, and it's tight. It's high and tight, but it still has some style. You look like a soccer player. I love it. That I love was it. my ultimate goal. That's the ultimate compliment. Let's do a review here. This one says, if listeners can't say something nice, five stars, I wonder how you two do what you do with listeners critiquing and criticizing words you use and how often do you use them? <laughs> 
Honestly, people must think your job is a piece of cake. I'm not in the business, but I'm sure it's not easy. It's just that you two make it seem effortless. You're doing an amazing job, and I don't give a flying fig if you say any word or phrase 200 times over. You make me laugh. Your friendship is real. You're intelligent, articulate, and fun, and you compliment each other beautifully. Thank you for that nice review. We need more people like you on social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we had a million lows on, that's who the reviewer's name is, on social media, it would be a beautiful place to be. The world would be a very happy place. Yeah. But thank you for that review. And honestly, the trick is to just not care what strangers have to say. It's interesting, though, to find out what our trigger words are and what we use. But I mean, I just don't really care that much. Or, you know, have Michelle edit them out in the post edit. There you go. Yeah, either way. But we're just going to continue to be us. All right, Steve. Well, let's wrap this up because I've got to hit the road. Thank you for doing this. Sorry about some of the connection issues. Thank you to everyone for listening. Steve and I are going to be back in action next week. But until then, Steve, Joshua Tree, not for me. And Lime, it's the new coffee. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.